Father, as we look at your word today, Father, we ask you to, the Holy Spirit may guide our hearts and our minds to understanding your word for us. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, with this being World Mission Sunday, um, many of you probably went through the 20 days of mission devotions that uh, uh, Anik put together. Uh, and as you go through them, you see that a lot of them are operating under very difficult situations. And to understand more of how to respond to those difficult situations. And Pastor Dan last week in his sermon mentioned about don't be surprised if the government comes down with more persecution of the churches. But what about us individually? How do we deal with persecution, with opposition, as we take out the word of the Lord, the good news, the gospel to those around us. As we look at the gospel today from Luke, Jesus gives some good instruction. But let's, there's a saying in, lead, in retail, what's the three most important things when you're considering an opening a store? And the three things are location, location, and location. And I think when we do Bible study, we should do the same thing. Where is it in the Bible? Who is it that is being spoken to? And what is being said? And this occasion in, in Luke, the night before, Jesus had spent up on the mountain praying with his father. And then at daybreak, he called all of his disciples to him, and he picked out 12, which he appointed as the apostles. And then he took those disciples down to a plain where there was a large crowd. And Luke specifies disciples and crowd. So these were people that were seeking out what Jesus was all about. They were bringing their, their sick to be healed. They were responding to the wonder man rather than to his words. But they were there, and Jesus went there with his disciples and the newly appointed 12 apostles, and he started to talk. And he lifted up his eyes to his disciples. So these words that follow were for the disciples. And he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you should be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so, for so their fathers did to the prophets. 
And then in verse 27, he starts to expand on that last blessing for being persecuted. How we are to react to that persecution. And he says, but I say to you who hear. Now, that's just not hearing the sound of his voice. Many in the crowd were just hearing the sounds of his voice. But it means to listen and learn, to pay attention. And then he comes out with, love your enemies. Really? What is he saying? Who are our enemies? In this context, our enemies are God's enemies. Those who come against us because of the gospel we proclaim through the Holy Spirit. God's offer of reconciliation with him. Sinners in God's eyes. We are to love them. Okay, love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. The first commandment. Okay, yeah. Love our neighbor, the second commandment. Yeah. Love our fellow disciples in Christ, 1 John 4, 7. We try. But love our enemies? Let me ask you. God so loved us, loved us that he sent his only son to die for us. When? Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners. That is, while we were still his enemies. He didn't wait for us to come to him to show us his love. Jesus is asking us to share this sacrificial love with those who, though made in the image of God, have turned from him to bring them to Christ's kingdom, remembering we were once among them. To give of ourselves as Christ gave himself. This is not an emotional love, as the world understands it, but an attitude that puts the spiritual welfare of others before our physical, emotional and financial welfare. If we think this will bring acceptance from the world, if we are looking for approval from the culture around us, then we're mistaken. We are to be the salt of the earth, and sometimes salt stings. The light of the world, and sometimes light exposes sin in the darkness of our hearts. Jesus continues, do good to those who hate you. These are not easy teachings. Once again, he's not talking about deeds as such, but our attitude while we act and speak. Above all, our doings or deeds, should be ethically good, right, noble, honorable in God's eyes. 
As Christians, we are to aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. 2 Corinthians 8.21 To do that which is right or good. 2 Corinthians 13.7 Not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Notice it doesn't just say to those we like. Galatians 6, 9 to 10. To be zealous for doing good works. Titus 2, 14. To stir up one another to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24. Our deeds should bear testimony to God's love. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable or good, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. 1 Peters 2, 9 and 12. And especially, we are to have this attitude when we come across those who show us express malice because of our words and deeds for the Lord. If through our own fault we have developed enemies that have got nothing to do with our, us proclaiming the gospel or doing the work of the Lord, that's our problem between us and the Lord. But what he's talking about here is when we're actually out there in the battlefield. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus is telling us to speak well of those who speak ill of us. For those who insult or falsely accuse us. Lift them to the Lord in prayer, asking that he soften their hard hearts. Peter writes, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's from 1 Peter 3, 14 to 17. Jesus wrote, to those who strike 
To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now, this could be a physical, outright slap on the cheek. Or it could be any public rejection. Where emotionally or spiritually, you're being slapped across the face. And Jesus says, put the other one out there too. What is he saying? He's saying there's going to be a risk involved in reaching out to people with God's word. But if we're struck down in rejection, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, get right back up and continue reaching out. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Don't combat aggression with aggression. Even if there is a financial cost. Again, this could be a physical right out on the street. You're talking to somebody and they just get really so upset at you that they throw you to the side and whip off your coat, shirt, whatever. Or it could be that they take you to court because what you've said to them is malicious and hateful. And Jesus said, don't reply to malice with malice. If they're taking your, your coat, your cloak, then get right back involved with them and let them take your shirt too. Perseverance. But then you're going to run across people that it says, give to everyone who begs from you. And the, and the word implies that they're of lower status. They really are in need. And Jesus says, give freely. Be generous. Be generous with I almost said your possessions, but isn't it truly be generous with God's possessions? What we have is God's. And he freely gives. So in his name, we should freely give. Then Jesus jumps right back in and says, from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So you have the the person that's in need, desperate need, and Jesus says, give generously. But then you have the person who says, look, can you lend me your lawnmower, or in this season, I guess, your snowblower. I need to do my sidewalks. The next thing you know, you see him walking off down the street. He's doing all his neighbors, too, and you're sitting there waiting to get yours, yours done because as being good, you let him take it before yours got done. 
and you never see it again. What do you do? File a claim against them? File damages? Or the next time you see him, say, you know, you did borrow my lawnmower or my snowblower, but you never brought it back. Oh, well, my friend down the street, he needed it, so I lent it to him. It's his fault you never got it back. What do you do? I forgive you. Look, I'm going to go out and buy a new lawnmower, snowblower, whatever. When you need it, let me know. Forgive. Verse 31 from the NET translation. Treat others in the same way that you would want them to treat you. Not how they're treating you. Not any of the examples in the previous verses. But how you would want them to treat you. In the eyes of God. You treat them. You never know. It might put them to shame. They might ask, start asking you, why, have you, after all I've done to you, why do you treat me like this? And you, that's an aha moment. Silently say, Holy Spirit, give me the words here. How do I respond? Feed me the words. And you give them an explanation. Because Christ loved me first and asked me to love you as he loved me. One example. And then there's four verses, or three verses, that really try to elevate our attitudes above that of the world. If you love those who love you, what credit before God is that to you? Even sinners will love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit before God is that to you? It doesn't have before God in there, in the scriptures, but that's what it's talking about. It's the credit this way. It's not the credit here. And if you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit before God is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. The world responds to us with emotions, feelings, especially today. We are to respond to them with attitude, an attitude 
of soul, heart, and mind belonging to God. Verse 35, but love your, neighbor, your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Jesus came to die on the cross, expecting nothing in return. But he, thankfully, some of us listened to him and have responded to God's hand reaching out to bring us back to him. We have to reach out with God's word, with God's love, expecting nothing in return. And our reward, not here, not in the here and now, but when we join Christ in his kingdom, our reward will be great. Why love our neighbor, or neighbor? Why love our enemy? Why do good? Why lend? Because that's how God is. God is merciful, and there's no call for mercy. We are to do the same. And it says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Sometimes that judge not, and you will not be judged is taken out of context. And people say, well, you can't judge me. It says so in the word. But that's not. Remember I said before, location, location, location. Where are these words situated? Right after he's talking about loving your neighbor. No talking about loving your enemy. So it's much easier to love your neighbor, isn't it? Just judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not. Forgive. You're talking to somebody, and they seem to just, the word of the Lord just seems to be going all over their head, and you go, this is just a waste of my time. You just judge them. You just condemn them to hell for eternity. And you definitely didn't forgive them. Who are we to decide when to give up on somebody? That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the one that reads our hearts. And the Holy Spirit will guide us. None of this is natural to us. We need the Holy Spirit guiding us through all of this. And he will let us know. Okay. Pray for this person. Bless them. 
and then let's move on. I got somebody else down the street for you to approach. But it's not for us to judge their hearts. It's not for us to condemn them. It's not for us to not forgive them. Judge not, condemn not, forgive. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Imagine a marketplace, as in Jesus' time. You're in your marketplace, you've just asked to buy some wheat. The guy's got it on the scales. And he takes his container of wheat and he pours it into the cup, and he shakes it, taps it a bit more, pours some on, does that again, it's now level. Okay, that's what you owe me. And he keeps adding. That's our good measure that we'll receive back when we have these attitudes to love our enemies. I got it right that time. To do good in the eyes of God to our enemies. And to give of ourselves, to lend of ourselves and of our possessions, God's possessions. that God's love for us might flow out to the hearts of others that still don't know him. Lois read from Romans 10 today, and it says, that faith comes from hearing. But if nobody's preaching, how are they going to hear? And I've heard some commentators say, well, that particular part of, of Romans 10, that, that's for preachers, because it says preachers like four or five times. But the Greek word means to be a herald to proclaim the word. And as the disciples of Christ, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can all do that. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without somebody preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Isaiah reading. Isaiah considered himself totally unworthy. Woe is me.
But then the seraphim sanctified Isaiah to do God's work. Remind me, have we not been sanctified by the Holy Spirit to do God's work? So when the Holy Spirit asks us to step forward, can we answer like Isaiah did when God said, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me. Now it might be across the world like Emma, It might be just to somebody in our business, our school, our neighbor across the street, a member of our family. Because even if we know them, they can still be God's enemy. In this case, our enemy. Again, when God asks, will we respond? Send me. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful that you so loved us that even though we were sinners, we were turned away from you. Our hearts were hardened. You still sent your son to die on the cross, to bear our sins, to reconcile us to you, to break down the walls that we had built up between you and us. And Father, we're thankful that in your wisdom, you want to use us that you've left here as your ambassadors, exiles in, these, in this world, to do your bidding, to give your word, your love, your forgiveness to those who still do not know you. And we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit may give us a, a heart that is broken for these broken people. The guidance to direct us to each, each of us, to those you want us to speak to. And as on the day of Pentecost, you filled those disciples with the words to be spoken, we ask, Father, that you fill us with the words to be spoken. For we know, Father, the Holy Spirit knows the questions to be asked, that will be asked, and the answers you want us to give. And we pray this to your glory in the name of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.